Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. We return now to our regular study in Ephesians. I hope you had a beautiful Resurrection Sunday. I know I did. The theme of Ephesians is walking in the riches of God's grace. And as we've gotten now to chapter 4, Paul is teaching us how to live like those who have such awesome riches. He spent the first three chapters teaching us. We learned about the riches we have in Christ. Now he is teaching us how to live like those who have such awesome riches. And that starts by thinking like Jesus did, with a lowly and meek mindset, by being long-suffering towards others. That's our first worthy response. Our second worthy response is to recognize that while we are unified in the things we believe, we are still individuals who each have different gifts from Jesus. And so when we get down here now to verses 11 and 12, Paul is going to explain how that dynamic works so that we are all using our gifts to serve our church family and to grow God's kingdom. In other words, he's going to teach us what church life is supposed to look like. We're going to look at the second half of Ephesians of you know, married life, family life, work life, spiritual warfare, Christian life, but we're going to start off by focusing on church life and what church life is supposed to look like. So I'm going to start in verse 7, and then we'll pick up our study in verse 11, and then we will have the long journey of getting to verse 12 by the end of the study. Verse 7, but unto every one of us, that's all of you, if you're born again, unto every one of us is given according to the measure of the gift of Christ, grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, that's why he says in the Old Testament, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended, the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, we see here in verse 7, all of us have been given gifts by Jesus, but in verse 11, we read about just a few of the gifts that Jesus has given. Now, note, it does not say, and to some he gave apostles, and to some. Rather, it says that the gifts that he gave are some of these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. The people are the gifts. There isn't a gift of apostling or pastoring or evangelizing. The gifts are the people. This is, by the way, why ordination as a pastor or an evangelist isn't earned or conferred. You know, because somebody graduates from a school or they meet like a certain required amount of hours of service and say, oh, you, you now qualify for ordination. That's not how it works. Ordination is when the church recognizes that God has given this person as a gift to his church for one of these unique roles. Now, God doesn't do that because they're so great, but because the church needs these people to become mature to become the answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.19. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, that we would be just like Jesus. Well, Jesus, it says, he ascended to heaven and gave gifts that he might, verse 10 of, of Ephesians 4, that he might fill all things. Exactly what Paul prayed. And so the Lord gave these four types of individuals to the church to assist in that process. Now, does that mean these Christians are more important than other gifts Jesus might give to the church? Not at all. The point is that while most of us will use our gifts in all sorts of venues, these people in the church, they have a singular focus, which we see in verse 12. 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, these are just some of the gifts that Jesus gives. There are many other gifts that the Bible talks about that Jesus gives. And so, I'm going to just kind of list the scriptures to you if you want to look them up later. But like in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, it lists seven gifts. It mentions the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of administration, showing mercy, and I left one out somewhere in there. There's one more, what some of you are saying. So, so there's seven listed there. And then that's Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Then you have 1 Corinthians 12, 28, which lists some other things there. It lists the gift of helps, the gift of governments. It uh, lists uh, some of the supernatural gifts like healings and miracles and tongues. Then you get to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, and it lists a few more. It lists a gift of speaking. It lists a gift of hospitality. So we see many different gifts that the Bible talks about, And you, if you are a Christian, you have at least one of these gifts. You likely have more than one of those gifts. Now, do you know which ones Jesus has given you? If you don't, well, you have homework. Because you should spend some time this week reading and praying through these three texts that I shared with you. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4. And read through them and ask the Lord... And, and ask him for each of those gifts and ask him which ones he's given to you. And, and then he will show you what your assigned task in the body of Christ will be, what, how to use the gifts that he's given to you to serve your church family and to grow his kingdom. Now, Paul does not list all those gifts here. He chooses to list these four gifts because his focus is on how they help the church use their gifts, equip them to use their gifts. And so we start here with the first gift that he mentions. He says he gave some apostles. Apostle is someone who is sent with a commission or sent on a service. Now, these were a specific group of men that Jesus specially commissioned. We read about it in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Luke gives a rundown on who they were, how they became who they were, and what their job was. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Luke says, the former treatise, he's referencing his gospel, Luke, the first book he wrote, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom, the apostles whom he chose, to whom also he showed himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That lays it all out there for us. Everything we need to know about apostles is right here in these three verses. An apostle's first job was to relay Jesus' teachings to the world. Now, that required them to have heard Jesus' teachings during his earthly ministry and after he rose from the dead. Remember, Jesus had 40 days after he rose from the dead that he spent time teaching them, Luke tells us here. They needed to be around for that and for his earthly ministry. So, also their second job 
was to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection, that they had seen the risen Lord. These requirements are stated when Judas's replacement is picked in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. When they were discussing amongst themselves in Acts 1, 21, they said, wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Very clear. That's the requirements. So you needed to have been with Jesus during his three years of teaching on the earth and then have seen him risen from the dead and heard his teaching after he rose from the dead. That was a requirement to be an apostle. Now, that obviously limits who can be an apostle, right? Well, not only does it limit it in the scope, but it limits it in time. Because if you weren't around during that time, you can't be part of that group which means apostles are a limited duration group. They aren't meant to continue beyond their time. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains this in verses 7 and 8 when he's describing the resurrection and who saw Jesus. He says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15, and after he appeared to 500 brethren, it says he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me too, as of one born out of due time. In other words, I'm the last one to see Jesus risen from the dead. I'm the last apostle. That's it. I'm the bookend to that. I'm the bookend to the, the group, this limited duration group of the apostles. Paul says he's the last person to see Jesus resurrected, and therefore the last apostle to join the group. In fact, he compares himself to a, a preemie baby, one born out of due time, because he rejected Jesus and persecuted the church. He was around during Jesus' teaching, had heard Jesus teach, but he rejected it. He had seen the risen Lord, but he had persecuted the church. That's why he's the only apostle who didn't see Jesus resurrected until after Jesus ascended to heaven. He's the only one who fits that bill. Now, why is that significant? Well, their duration ended when the Scriptures were completed. Because once the New Testament was complete, this gift of apostles to the church was no longer necessary. The Scriptures contained the things that it was their job to do, relay Jesus' teachings and give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. Well, now we have all of Jesus' teachings, and we have their eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, don't we? So the Scriptures are their legacy, their ministry to us. You know, their ministry still benefits us in the way that we read about in Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. They're still doing that as we study the Scriptures. So they completed their job, and therefore, apostles are no longer necessary. That hasn't stopped false teachers from claiming to be new apostles. John, likely the last living apostle, specifically mentioned this problem. In Revelation 2.2, when he's talking about the, the good things that the church at Ephesus had done, he says, you have searched out those who are false apostles. They were already in existence. Already people come around going, well, I'm the next apostle. And John's going, no, no, you're not. And this church had faithfully rejected them. Now, when we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and it says that Jesus has set in the church, first of all, apostles. Because apostles could relay Jesus' teachings and give an eyewitness testimony of the resurrection, 
If one was present at a church service, they had speaking priority. If we were here, if this was Calvary Chapel, Ephesus, okay, seriously, if it's Calvary Chapel, Ephesus, and John the Beloved comes walking in, my sermon will be next week. Because we're going to now hear from somebody who walked with Jesus, who touched Jesus, who heard him speak, and who saw him risen from the dead. We're going to let him share. (laughs) We're going to let him share. And that's what Paul's explaining, how the priority of how things go in a church service. And this is the reason that there are those who claim to be apostles today. They want that primacy. They want that priority to speak. They want to have the privilege of being able to walk in somewhere and go, well, I'm an apostle, so step aside. But they are false apostles, and they should be rejected. Now, the second gift that Jesus gives, he says he gives prophets. Uh, the word prophet just means one who speaks for God and shares God's will. I think it's important we do not confuse the office of prophet, like the position of prophet, with the gift of prophecy. They are two different things. For example, last Sunday night, if you were here for our What the Resurrection Means to Me service, we had quite a few people who exercised the gift of prophecy. You say, how do you know, Pastor Will? Because when the gift of prophecy has been exercised, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that people are encouraged, they're edified, or they are comforted. And I don't know about you, but I was all three of those by our 11 speakers. I was encouraged by some, comforted by some, edified by others. So the gift was in operation. But let me assure you, no prophet spoke last Sunday night. They were just brothers and sisters who shared in such a way that spoke to our hearts. I hope when I teach that the gift of prophecy is an operation. I hope your heads aren't just filled with knowledge and you go, great, I understand the Bible better. I hope that you are comforted or you are edified or you are exhorted to take action. I hope the gift of prophecy is an operation. If not, we're in trouble. Now, like apostles, if a prophet was present in a church service, they had the priority to speak. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, first apostles, second prophets. Again, because their job was to speak for God and share his will, they, had, they did that in two ways. One, many of them relayed the teachings of the apostles. For example, Luke and Mark do this. They're prophets. They gave us the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. But they're not apostles. But they did relay those teachings to us. They were prophets. So that was part of the job of a prophet. Now, an apostle had priority over a prophet if they were both in the church service because, well, why would you have the relay man speak when you have the eyewitness present? But prophets weren't just teachers or messengers. Prophets also were given divine revelation from Jesus after he ascended to heaven. This helped guide the church until the New Testament was completed. For example, Some apostles are also called prophets, like Paul and John, both called prophets. Peter's also called a prophet. Like I said, Luke and Mark wrote Scripture. Other prophets, like Agabus, they didn't write Scripture, but they certainly spoke and guided the church during the time when the Scripture was not complete. But once the New Testament was finished and the church had the Scriptures to guide them, the job of the prophets was completed. They were not needed anymore. I personally think this is why John wrote the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, because he's an apostle and a prophet, likely the last living of both. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 9, that's what the angel calls him. When John bows down to worship him, 
He said to me, see that you do it not, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. John the Beloved, he was a prophet. He was part of that group, and he was probably the last one. Now, that means anyone who claims to have the office of a prophet or position of a prophet today is a false prophet. We do not need new Scripture. We need to understand and live out the Scripture Jesus sent them to give us. And I don't know about you, but that's plenty on my plate. I'm still trying to figure this out. I don't need any new revelation. My kids, when we would read the Bible to them when they were very young, you know, you have one of those little child Bibles, and obviously it kind of sums things up and doesn't tell everything that's in there. But we'd get to the end, and they'd go, okay, Dad, what are we going to read next? And I would say, well, we're going to start over. But we already read that. I say, well, do you remember everything you read? No. So let me ask you another question. Are you living everything you read? No. Then we're going to start over. (laughs) I need to live this out. I don't need new revelation. So why is it that some people then claim to be prophets today? Well, similar to false apostles, they want the preeminence to speak. They want control and influence over your life in a greater capacity than just someone who teaches the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter explains this truth. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. They will come into the church and they will bring in new ideas that are not true. They are aberrations from truth, aberrations from the Scripture. And they do so because they want control and influence. Verse 2 of 2 Peter 2 says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They want to use you up. They want to get something from you, whether it's for power or privilege or prestige or money or whatever it might be. They want to use you up somehow for their own purposes. And that is not the goal of a Bible teacher. That's not the goal of of a pastor. Listen, here's the truth of the matter. You guys were here Sunday nights when Eric was teaching us in Jonah. And yes, I'm the senior pastor here, but the Word of God's the Word of God, right? And weren't you guys blessed? I was. We don't seek to control you. Anybody who can come up here who God has called in this church to share the Scripture with you, you're going to be blessed. No one needs to have some special role or special function to do that. But a prophet wants to make merchandise of you. They want to use you. Pastors and teachers, they just want to care for you, to serve you. And so... It's interesting when Peter gives these warnings about false prophets, if you go right back to the end of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, that's where he describes true prophets and their true function, which was to give us the Scriptures. When, you know, someone says to me, oh, it was awesome, we had prophets at our church this Sunday, I go, that's sad. What do you mean that's sad? It was awesome. God was speaking, doing amazing things. Well, that may be true, but we have a more sure word of prophecy right here got a more sure word of prophecy, so you got, the, you got the crumbs. You got the crumbs. And they were probably yucky crumbs. I saw an angel. You're looking pretty good for seeing an angel. Every time I read in the Bible, somebody saw an angel, they were knocked out for days or weeks. 
yeah, but it was awesome. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. What do you mean I'm sorry to hear that? Well, the Bible says Jesus is better than angels. I get Jesus every time I open this. This ministry of to the church, these gifts to the church of apostles and prophets giving us the Scripture is why we so often find apostles and prophets mentioned side by side in the Bible. In Ephesians 2, it mentions that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 5, it says that things that were spoken of to the apostles and the prophets, the Word of God. We have it all right here, their ministry right here. We don't need any new ones. Now, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers abound. I want to encourage you to come back tonight. We're going to be starting a series on cults at 6.30 in our services. Normally, I know we teach through the Bible. and We'll get back to that. Part of the reason that Eric taught through Jonah is because I really didn't think the Lord wanted us to, to go back to 1 Kings right after we fi- finished 2 Samuel, and I didn't know what the Lord wanted us to do. I was like, Lord, I'll, I'll wait on you. And the more and more I kept seeking the Lord, I really sensed the Lord wanted us to do a study on cults. So for the next seven, eight weeks on Sunday night, starting tonight, we're going to do a study on the spirit of error. So I encourage you to come on out. It's going to be a solid teaching on what the Bible has to say about the essentials of the faith and, and what some cults teach and how that's different than what the Bible teaches. And we're going to get into that. And then after that, we'll get right back into our study through the Old Testament and go to First Kings. Because false prophets abound. If someone ever asks you if your church has apostles and prophets, tell them yes. When Harry Ironside answered a Mormon missionary this way, the Mormon replied, oh, then you must be a Latter-day Saint. To which Ironside replied, no, I am a former-day saint. (laughs) The church that I belong to is building upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And although they themselves have passed off the scene long ago, they are still members of this church, for it does not only exist on earth. The missionary said, but we have apostles and prophets in our day. To which Ironside replied, but you see, the apostles and prophets were to lay the foundation. And if I understand the word of God correctly, this wonderful church Jesus is erecting has been building for 1,900 years, and it is now just about completed. One does not put a foundation on the roof. (laughs) Wise words. It is so common for me to hear particularly Christians who are starting to grow and starting to learn. They're like, I want to find something nobody else has found. Let me assure you, if you do, you're incorrect because there's nothing new. It's all already been given to us. Harry Ironside also said, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. (laughs) Wise words. I have plenty on my plate to understand the things that so many others before me came have understood and strove to understand. I want to understand those things and live them out. I don't need to find new things to be special. I'm special because Jesus loves me, period. The next gift that Paul mentions here that Jesus gave to the church is evangelists. The word evangelist, it means someone who announces good news, whether at home or abroad. We only have one example of someone called an evangelist in Scripture in in the book of Acts is Philip. In Acts 21.8, it's called Philip the Evangelist. But to understand what Philip did, we need to look at other scriptures in Acts. And so in Acts 8, 5 through 6, it gives us really the only explanation of what Philip the Evangelist did. After persecution hit the church in Jerusalem, the Christians scattered everywhere, and Philip, it says in Acts 8, 5, 
he went down to Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So Philip goes to Samaria, he does miracles, preaches the gospel, and then if you keep reading, he begins discipling and baptizing those who received the gospel, who became new believers there. But what's interesting is if you read the whole account of chapter 8, Philip doesn't stay there with these new believers like maybe a pastor would to continue their discipleship. God calls Philip to go somewhere else. In fact, every single time we meet Philip in the book of Acts, he's in a new location. And so this is the idea that the evangelist in the early church was an itinerant preacher or maybe similar to what we would call a missionary. They have a home church, ascending church, but they are often on the move, taking the gospel to places that have not heard it. They are teachers, but their primary focus is reaching the unsaved with the truths they teach and equipping the body of Christ how to do the same. That's their purpose, their task, assigned task from Jesus in the church. And man, does a church need more to answer Jesus' call to be evangelists? Our pulpits are filled with motivational speakers, lecturers, entertainers, and cults of personality. So few dedicate their lives to teaching the gospel to equipping the church to share their faith. And it's my personal opinion that this is why the church is so weak in evangelism today. We don't have people who stepped into this role. Evangelism is often, I've heard, described as a gift someone has. Oh, he's got the gift of evangelism. There is no such thing as a gift of evangelism. There's no gift. Never, you'll never find that in the Bible. Evangelism is not a gift some people have and some people do not have. We are all called to make disciples by evangelizing. Now, Some of us are better at sharing our faith than others or speaking to people than others. Anybody else not a people person here? I'm not a people person, which is kind of odd considering what I do, right? I am not. I am an introvert by nature. I go out into crowds and long to be back home. When I go to the store and the Lord begins prompting me to share my faith with somebody, my first thought is, is there no one else? This would require me to speak to another human being, particularly one I don't know and don't want to get to know. (laughs) My challenge so often is not sharing my faith, but building a bridge to start a conversation. And if you feel that way too, hey, you're not alone. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I walk up to people and I'm like, hey, God's got a word for you. Let me tell you what it is. (laughs) I'm not good at sharing my faith in that sense. I have a hard time starting the conversation. One tool I've learned is I try to find something on their person, like a, a necklace or a tattoo or a, you know, a, a ring or what their shirt says. And they have a shirt, might have a, a picture of Mary on it or something. And I'll say, hey, I noticed, is that Mary on your shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are, are you Catholic? Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I just, think, I just think, you know, the shirt's cool. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, did you know that Mary was the mother of the Messiah? That's how I, like, I help myself build those bridges, because I'm horrible at it otherwise. Lord's like, hey, I want you to tell them about Jesus. Tell them about me. And I'm like, how? <laughs> like, it's one of those awkward moments where you kind of walk up to him and you're like, creeper all, like, Jesus loves you. <laughs> I'm not really creeping on you. I'm just really awkward. I don't know how to do this. Right? So for me, that's been my way to learn to build a bridge. That's me, that's me as a pastor doing the work of an evangelist, giving you a tool. There are people who can do a way better job at that than me. 
But that's a tool I've learned to use, you know, is find something on their person that I can connect with and maybe ask them a question about it. I remember I was out at lunch with a, a dear brother here at church, and, and a lady came up, and she had all these funky occult symbols on her earrings and stuff and her jewelry, and, and uh, he asked her, and I was like, oh, he knows that trick too, you know? Say, hey, I noticed you got some, in- what are those symbols of? And she explained, oh, you know, I'm into crystals, this, that, the other thing, and, and, uh, and oh, well, you know, that's interesting. Well, I'm into Jesus. And it was a bridge, bridge to start a conversation, because normally, if I can get into a spiritual conversation, well, now I can start sharing the Bible with them, and I, then I'm okay. Then I'm in comfort level. I feel confident to know what to say at that point. So no one has the gift of evangelism, but we do have a need for evangelists in the church. This is one of the main reasons that we would invite a guest speaker to share here at the church, because I'm not an evangelist. I try to obey Paul and do the work of an evangelist like all pastors should, but we're pastors. We're not evangelists. We need these other folks' help to fully equip you guys to share your faith. And so that's why we bring them in sometimes. We think, oh, they need to hear about creation on this, from this guy, or they need to hear about this missionary come and share, challenge us to share our faith. That's why we bring them in, to help equip you for that purpose. These evangelists are a blessing to the church. Well, the last gift that Jesus gives is pastors and teachers. You might be saying, isn't that two gifts, Pastor Will? No, the word some here modifies both words, which means it's meant to be like a hyphenated word, pastor hyphen teacher. They're the same person. There is indeed a ministry of just being a teacher, but there is no such thing as someone who is a pastor but not a teacher. If a man has the title of pastor but cannot or does not teach, then they are not a pastor. Certainly not one sent by Jesus or at least not one who's being faithful to his call. The word pastor, it just means shepherd. Those Jesus gave to care for and guide a local congregation. The word teacher just means someone who provides instructions, and that's what a pastor does. He cares for and leads a local congregation, and he provides instruction, teaches them the Bible. Two other words are used to describe this gift in the New Testament. The word elder is used sometimes, and that refers to someone who's a mature example of a Christian. And then the fourth word is the word bishop, which means someone who oversees or administrates the local congregation. All four of those words describe different responsibilities that this person has. You see all four of them together in 1 Peter chapter 5, probably the most famous passage on pastors in the Bible. Peter's kind of an interesting cat. He was an apostle, a prophet, and a pastor. John the Beloved also had that role. But in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, the elders which are among you, the, remember that's one of our words, these mature believers who are being example to, the, to the local, their local congregations, to the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness, I'm also an apostle, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2, feed, literally shepherd the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, that's bishoping, episkopos, thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for greedy gain, but of a ready mind. And how do you feed the flock of God? You teach them the Word of God. So these four words describe the different responsibilities this pastor-teacher has. 
Jesus gave pastors to care for, guide, and instruct his people to oversee the local congregation and be a mature example for others to follow. And when a pastor is doing their job faithfully, the church benefits. When a pastor is not doing that job faithfully, the church suffers. By the way, this is why someone can be an amazing speaker, but the church be immature. If they aren't teaching the Bible, if they aren't being a mature example of a Christian, if they aren't caring for and guiding the believers toward Jesus, then they are failing at their job, even if you walk away thinking, that was a great sermon, or somehow thought or felt like you were helped. I don't know if it's Hollywood or or, or media's influence over the years, but for some reason, it seems like Christians today that we value stage presence as the highest gift a Christian can have. It's not that a good pastor can't be humorous or passionate or even affect you emotionally. It's simply that the bulk of what a pastor does has nothing to do with that. The bulk of a pastor's time should be spent instructing by words and by deeds, which, by the way, requires you to study so you can do a good job by word and deed. Because whether a pastor is humorous or passionate or affects you emotionally, when they instruct in God's word, they're giving you more than just a soulish experience. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to pierce through the soul and to get right to the spirit, the part of us that fellowships with God. You might walk away and your soul isn't touched at all, but you're a stronger Christian as a result of good pastoring. That's the truth of it. I had one of my pastoral ministry teacher at Bible college. He spoke with monotone. He was the most boring guy ever. Serious. Just his personality, everything was just boring. And his voice was boring. That class was one of the most impactful classes for me, though, because he taught me the Word of God and what it had to say about being a pastor. So much of what I do today, I learned in that class not because he made me laugh, and not because I was all emotionally tickled, and not because I felt things, but because I was spiritually fed, and I spiritually grew as a result. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, Paul tells young Timothy, he says to him, he says, listen, I've left you at Ephesus to pastor the church there. I know you're a young guy. I know you've never done this before, but until I get there, what do you focus on? He says, give attention to reading, to doctrine, and to exhortation. What does that mean? Till I get there, read the Bible, explain it, and apply it. Read the Bible, tell the people what it means, and tell them how they apply it to their lives. That's what you're going to spend your time doing. That's the job of a pastor. He says to him, be an example to the believers in word and deed. He says in purity and in godliness and all these other attributes. He tells him, Don't neglect the gift that's given to you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elders. Meditate upon those things. Give yourself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and unto the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will both save yourself and those who listen to you. A pastor devotes their time and energy to learning, to living and leading other people in the Scriptures. When the congregation comes together to worship, their primary job is to read the Bible, explain what you just read, and then help the church apply it to their lives. That's why at Calvary Chapel Orlando, 
we put an emphasis on teaching in our church services. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he says, God has set some first, what, apostles, then prophets, and then what's next? Teachers. We don't have apostles and prophets anymore. So what has the primacy now? Bible teaching. Whoever it may be, Bible teaching has the primacy. Whether it's an itinerant speaker, an evangelist coming in, or the regular pastor, or, or another pastor at the church, Bible teaching is the focus. It's what we're going to spend the majority of our time doing because that's what Paul told us to do. That's what Jesus told us to do. It's not that we don't believe in or desire other spiritual gifts. We just want to give priority to the things that Jesus gave priority to. And he says teaching is at the top of the list. There are many who would say, well, you know, if all we did was learn the Bible and and, and the Holy Spirit didn't show up in some other way, then it wasn't a Holy Spirit service. To which I would say, if you look at the list of miracles and healings and tongues, those are at the bottom of the list. Teachings up here. If all that happened this morning is the Word of God was taught, explained, and applied, then guess what? We had a Holy Spirit Sunday. Doesn't mean we don't want the other things, but we're going to put emphasis on this. Now, the reason why it's at the top of the list is what Paul says in verse 12 of Ephesians 4. And we'll close out with this verse. And I'll try not to spend as much time on this verse as the other one. Why did he give these four specific ministry gifts or these people to the church? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. For the purpose of, perfecting means to fully equip. For the purpose of equipping the saints. It means to make somebody completely adequate for a job. It's to fully equip you, the saints. That's who you are. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. You don't have to do some great deed to be a saint. If you're in Jesus, you're a saint. And our job as pastors here is to equip you, it says, for or means with respect to the work of the ministry, your assigned task of service from God. We learned in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto the good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has good works, a specific plan that he ha- has for you, a, an assigned task of service in the body of Christ. And it's our job to fully equip you to do it. That means that the ministry doesn't get done by those who have the title minister. We're all ministers. You're a minister of Jesus Christ. Which means, in effect, the role of evangelist or pastor is supposed to be the least glamorous role because all we're doing is handing out the backpack. You're the ones who fulfill the mission. We're just giving you the tools. What's your assigned mission? I gotta go infiltrate this place and go get the prisoners out. All right, well, here's your backpack. Here's all the tools. You ready to go? Ready to go. Get it done, man. Go win it for Jesus. That's our job. It's the least glamorous one. You're the ones who actually change people's lives. People often visit Calvary Chapel Orlando because they hear about how we teach the Bible. But I guarantee you what takes them beyond head knowledge are the relationships they form when they come here. The connections they make. Your ministry to them the gifts of teaching and exhortation and mercy and prophecy that take place in your text messages, your coffee meetups, your small group Bible studies, 
your kids' play days, your men's breakfasts. You get my point. I could go on and on. I'm so grateful for the pastors who invested into my life by teaching me the Word of God, both from the stage and through their example. But I am who I am today because of the men who daily did their assigned task of service toward me, the investment they made into my life every day. It's your job to go be that to somebody else because that's how the church is built for the edifying. That's the last part here. It's for the equipping of the saints with respect to the work of the ministry God's assigned them to. For what purpose? To build up, to edify the body of Christ. It means to construct or build up the body of Christ. The apostles and prophets, they gave us the foundation. They gave us the scriptures. And now by the power of God's spirit, through the gifting that Jesus gives to us, we build on top of that. And every single one of you, if you're in Christ today, is a necessary part to accomplishing that. Not just the four gifts mentioned here. The job of these four gifts, my job, is to equip you to do all this. That's my job. That's why Paul doesn't mention all the other gifts when he teaches us about church life. Because these four gifts are for the purpose of equipping everyone else to use whatever their gifts are faithfully. Well, I've done my part this morning. Now you go do your part. Go do ministry. Go find somebody and use your gifts. Go find somebody to encourage, lift up, pray for. I, I, I was telling my daughter yesterday, she came to me and she was, she was showing me a picture of Mars and she was asking me questions. And you know, and how, how did we get these pictures? And I explained, well, we got robots we send out there and they, they get up there in rockets and they land and then they, you know, it's amazing what we do. And she's like, I love this stuff. And she was telling me how she likes, you know, when we drive into big cities and you see all the big buildings and just, it's always amazing. It's so beautiful and what we can make. And I told her, I said, it is amazing. And that all that can be used for good and all of it can be used for evil. So use it for good. I, you can never know how much it might matter that you just shoot somebody a text message and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Or, hey, I want to share a scripture with you. Or, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? I had a particularly challenging week last week just a lot of things in my mind and I had a lot of things weighing on my heart from some people I was connected to and I didn't know what to do. And so specifically in those situations, the Lord encouraged me. I had two people last week, one person I never met who called the church just to ask a bunch of questions and then at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, you've taken a lot of time to spend with me to answer my questions. He goes, I really sense the Lord's asking me to ask if you need prayer or anything, you need anything. And I thought to myself, boy, do I need prayer. I've got this situation, I don't know what to do. Will you pray for me about this? And then, not an hour later, I got a text message from somebody that I barely know, who I never talked to, and they just, the text message was, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about today? I was like, man, my God hears, right? We serve the living God, and I'm so grateful for those two people because they fired me up. I was like, God's gonna answer me. He's gonna give me wisdom. He's gonna show me what to do. You go be that to somebody else. You say, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, I already gave you homework. Go do your homework. Read those passages that I shared with you earlier and pray over each gift. Ask God for them or ask God which ones he's given to you. And then to learn to use them better, come back next week. Keep coming here. Because if I do my job faithfully with the rest of Paul's teaching on what worthy church life looks like, well, then all of us will be better equipped to use the gifts Jesus gave to us. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, you are so good that you give us any gifts. Well, we don't deserve that. 
but you are good. You, you love to give us gifts. You love to use us. Even though, it, at least it seems to be, Lord, there'd be way more efficient ways you have condescended and chosen to use us. Like Paul the Apostle said, you counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Lord, you've counted us faithful because we're in Christ. And you've put us into the ministry, Lord. So Lord, I pray for every person here that you would show them how to use their gifts better. You'd equip them as we keep studying your word. I pray the truths that we learned this morning would help us to go out from here and use our gifts or that we would have healthy church life here at Calvary Chapel Orlando. God bless every brother or sister this morning. For those who don't know what their gifts are, I pray that you would speak to them through your word and show them, Lord, what their assigned task is in the body of Christ so they can be faithful in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.